Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. I am having a bad day. Matter of fact, I'm having a bad week. So I'm not going to get too into detail on this one because I just stopped a recording where I had talked for about five minutes on this and I said, already, that's too much. I don't want to go any more than two minutes on this one. I'll just say I'm a big fan of basketball. Some of you guys know that. My favorite NBA team is the Phoenix Suns. I grew up on them. They were really good when I was a kid. And then during my late teenage years, early adult years, they were awful. I mean, terrible. They weren't even winning 20 games in some of those seasons. And for those who don't know, there are 82 games in a basketball season. So not winning 20, it doesn't get any worse than that. That's historically bad. But then they turned it around, went to the NBA Finals a couple years ago, lost in a disappointing fashion because they had a lead, lost it. Don't want to talk about that. Then they lost last year in an even more disappointing fashion. There was a COVID outbreak on the team. We lost to a team that we should not have lost to regardless. But yeah, it was very unfortunate. And now this year, some people felt that we should be the favorites to win it all because of things that happened during the year. I never felt that personally because there were just factors that I said, well, logically, it just couldn't quite happen this season. But nonetheless, as a fan, you get invested. You always want to believe, even when you don't really believe deep down. It's that sense of hope that makes the defeat the most crushing. So my team got eliminated from the playoffs last night to a team that was on paper much better than them. So it's not the biggest deal necessarily. Like last year, they lost to a team they were way better than. And I think they lost in the finals a couple years ago to a team that really they were better than as well. And those ones definitely hurt. This year felt like, well, we could beat them because we've got a couple really good players and then just a bunch of guys. But in the end, they just had the better roster and it just wasn't going to happen. But it still hurts when it happens because you get so invested every year. They just pull you in. But long story short, I'm not having a great week because, yeah, my team got eliminated. Happened just yesterday, the day before I'm recording this at least. And yeah, it bumps me out. I'm going to be honest. Really sucked. On top of that, I knew I had to see this movie I'm going to talk about today, Hypnotic. So I knew I had to see it on the opening Thursday. I always see movies on Thursday because I have to record on Friday. I don't have time on Saturdays to record ever. And I end up spending most of Sunday editing so that I can get the episodes out by Monday morning. So typically, I have to see these movies Thursday night so I can record on Friday and then edit maybe a little bit on Saturday, but mostly on Sunday and get the episode out by Monday morning. In this case, though, I'm mentioning my NBA team is in the playoffs. And frankly, my basketball team takes priority over movies for me. I usually pick a showtime so that I do not miss my team play unless it is absolutely vital and it's an inconsequential game for my team. For example, if my team is just playing a random game in January and it's just a regular season game, doesn't necessarily count for anything, I'll say, okay, I can afford to miss the first half of this game for this movie that I need to see. And that's fine. But largely in the playoffs, I don't miss 
anything. I base my entire schedule around the Phoenix Suns and when they're playing. In this case, the Phoenix Suns had a 7 o'clock game, and this movie had a 5.30 showtime, which, mind you, this movie is just over 90 minutes, but AMC shows 25 minutes of trailers, and it is a 10-minute drive to my AMC theater. So 5.30 showtime would mean I would miss probably a majority of the first half of this Suns game, which was an elimination game, as I said, a really important game. So I said, okay, can't do 5.30. Then the other option was 7.30. I said, well, no, I can't do 7.30 because that's literally during the game. I would leave right when the game tips off because it was tipping off at about 7.15. They give you a seven o'clock start time, but it tips off about 7.15. Like I said, 10 minute drive to my theater. So to get to a 7.30 showtime, I would catch the tip off first few plays, then leave and then miss the entirety of the game after that. And then the last option was 9.30, which these games, if they tip off around 7.15 for a playoff game, it's not wrapping up till about 9.45. And that's if the game doesn't go to overtime. But we're talking, yeah, probably till about 9.45. So a 9.30 showtime, I said, well, I guess I'll just do this one. But if the game is too close, then I'm just going to go first thing tomorrow in the morning, which I hate, hate waking up for a movie. But I said, I can do it on Fridays. I can do a Friday morning movie. I just don't want to do it. But I said, I'll just do the 930. And if the game is decided by that point in time, like if my team is blowing the other team out, or if their team is blowing my team out, then okay, I'll just go see the movie. And sure enough, their team was blowing my team out. And so I said, okay, I don't even want to watch any more of this. I have just watched all of this up to this point because I'm a fan. I left with about five minutes left in the game. We were down like 20 something points. But I did leave in a bad mood because I said, man, my team is done. But let me talk about the movie because as I said, I saw the film Hypnotic. For those unfamiliar, Hypnotic is a new film directed by Robert Rodriguez starring Ben Affleck. So I was excited for this one because I'm a huge fan of Ben Affleck as an actor. I also like him as a director and writer, of course, but I think he is a tremendous actor and I think he's really good about choosing projects these days that he chooses large in part very interesting roles for himself and most of the movies are very interesting movies because of that. And this one fascinated me because I thought, well, in concept, When I saw the plot synopsis to the film, long before a trailer ever came out, there was one still photo and it was of Ben Affleck's character dressed up like a detective holding up a picture of a girl. And the synopsis is this. When a detective learns that his missing daughter and a string of high-profile bank robberies might be connected, he must go on a mind-bending journey to find his daughter and stop the secret government agency behind the madness. So I thought this would be a really cool mystery thriller movie. And it's Ben Affleck. I like that. It's Robert Rodriguez, who I'm a little bit mixed on his work, but I think he's a good director nonetheless. I haven't liked everything he's done, but I do think he's a good director. On top of that, it was his own original story. 
He got some help on the screenplay with Max Borenstein, but it was Robert Rodriguez's original story. So I like that when directors have a story and they direct the movie. There are some directors that do a lot of movies that feel very unique to them, but they don't write any of their scripts. And I've never understood how these films can all feel so similar in themes and things like that when the director's just grabbing scripts from random people. Denny Villeneuve, for example, does not write any of his own movies. There might be an exception, but I think just about every single film was written by somebody else. But somehow his movies all feel like Denny Villeneuve movies, and it's not just because of how they look. Yes, that's part of it, but thematically, from a storytelling perspective, the way they're paced, it always feels very Villeneuve, despite them not being written by him. I'm sure he gives the scripts his own pass, but he doesn't have writing credits on any of his movies at all, which means he's not making enough changes to the script to be credited for that. But then you got a guy like Christopher Nolan, on the other hand, who writes just about everything that he directs. And I find that really interesting because that's somebody that has stories to tell. Quentin Tarantino's the same way. He writes and directs all of his own movies. And he had said it's because he has no interest in directing somebody else's movie. And the reason I find those types of movies so compelling is because when I say that's a creative guy, because he was able to put this on paper and translate it to screen, I also think it's a talent to be able to see somebody else's story and somebody else's notes and words and things like that and visualize them to screen because you're taking it from somebody else's mind, you could say that, yeah, they aren't coming up with their own creative story, but I do think there is a level of creativity necessary to translate somebody else's ideas to screen. I don't think that's incredibly easy to do. But nonetheless, those who write their own stories and screenplays and then direct the movie, I think that's really, really cool. And one thing is, because I've written scripts, none that are any good, but I've written some and I sometimes come across this issue where I say, I could never sell this script because I would want to direct this because I wouldn't trust anybody to visualize this to screen. Even though I'm being very specific in my notes of this is how I want the camera to move here, which isn't often in scripts, but that's what I do in mine because I say, well, if I were to ever shoot this, I would want to know exactly what I was thinking when I wrote this scene of how I visualized it in my head because I have to visualize it. But I'll put musical cues in my scripts as well and things like that. And I say, well, if somebody else did it, they would probably throw those out and do their own thing with that. They would do their own thing with the camera and it would completely change the context of the script because there are very specific reasons that I wrote these things in. And if you threw those out, I think it would just change what the movie is in its entirety. But that's why I really like when these directors also write their movies, that they write their own original stories and then direct them to screen Because I say, well, any ideas that they had in their script, if they were adapted, it's because when they were shooting, they said, you know, this actually works better. But large in part, they're able to execute the movie exactly like they wanted it to be executed from page to screen. So that's why I was excited for this movie. I really like mystery thriller movies. I don't feel there are enough good mystery flicks because if the mystery is too good, there's just not a chance you can solve it as the audience member. There's nothing that you can possibly conjure up in your head 
that would really make any sense. There's no way to connect the dots, which is how a lot of real life crimes are, is that they're just random scattered details and maybe they can connect the dots, but a lot of times they don't in more serious cases. So if a mystery is too good, it's almost not even fun to watch because they're just scattered details and then your character by the end of the film typically just comes across the bad guy who exposition dumps and explains the entire master plan or whatever the mystery was that needed to be solved. Or the main character just has a huge revelation late in the film where it's, oh, all of these things make sense. And then it edits it in a way where you as the audience member go through exactly what they're thinking and maybe they voice over it and explain everything. On the flip side of that, there are also mysteries that are just painfully obvious the whole time. And the entire reason that you're watching is so you can see how the detective solves the case which I'm not going to bring up specific movies, but there are ones that come to mind that I've had people say, yeah, but it's fun to see him solve it. And I say, not really. I'm just waiting for him to get there. Why do I got to sit here and wait for him to solve this crime? We already know what happened. You showed it in the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, but there's this plot twist you didn't see coming. No, I saw that coming too. The second a new variable was introduced into the movie, an hour into it, I said, oh, Surely this new variable that was just introduced will lead to the big plot twist. Oh, what do you know it did? So mysteries are either too predictable or so unpredictable that they're kind of boring or just hard to follow. This one I would put in the category of unpredictable. And I say that because it just goes completely off the rails, man. I don't really know how to talk about this one without entirely spoiling the movie. I'll just say that when it started, I was in. I said, okay, this is pretty interesting because, yeah, Ben Affleck's character, whose name is Danny Rourke, but they just call him Rourke in the movie. And it took me a while to even figure out they were calling him Rourke because I was like, what are they saying? They were saying it so quick. And that's also just not the most common. It's his last name, but it's not the most common name to hear in a movie. So I kept hearing Rourke and I was like, huh? Oh, that's his name? But yeah, it opens with Rourke in therapy and the therapist is talking about his daughter going missing and he is having a flashback to that where he was at the park watching his daughter and some guy abducted her when he looked away. They looked away for one second when he looked back, his daughter was gone. And then when they caught the guy who did it, he said he had no recollection of ever doing it. But Rourke seems really broken up about this because he feels like it's his fault that his daughter was taken. But nonetheless, this therapist clears him for duty. He is then picked up by his partner, Nix, who is played by J.D. Pardo, who I recently saw in the Amazon series, The Terminal List with Chris Pratt, which was surprisingly a decent series. This is one of those I wasn't expecting too much because, I don't know, man. Not the biggest Chris Pratt hater, but I'm also not the biggest Chris Pratt believer. I don't see him in a project and think this is going to be really good because a lot of times this stuff is just okay. And this one was pretty good. But J.D. Parda was in that series and does a solid job in that series. So when he popped up on screen in this, I said, hey, that's the guy because I think he's in the FBI in the terminal list. I don't remember which branch of the government he's in, but I'm pretty sure he's the FBI. So automatically I was on board with Nick's character. I said, okay, I like this guy. 
But he picks up Rourke and then he plays him the message they got regarding the call that they are going to. There was an anonymous tip that there was a bank robbery about to take place. They said there was a security deposit box specifically that was going to be broken into at this bank. And Nix then notes to Rourke that this call came in and there have been two other bank robberies just like this one before they were tipped off about this one that they're going to now. So he said, there's probably something here. Anyway, they go to this bank, they survey the bank, and sure enough, a robbery goes down, but in a very peculiar way because there is a guy there played by William Fitchner who seems to just have certain people in a trance doing whatever he wants them to do. He will just say something to people and then they will do this stuff that ends up helping him pull off the heist. And Rourke is thinking these people are just in on the bank robbery. They are paid off by him because there are even a couple members of the police force that assist him. And he thinks, okay, these guys were paid off to do this. But either way, Rourke ends up beating this guy to the security deposit box. And when he opens it, all that's in there is a single photo of Rourke's daughter who had gone missing. And that's another thing. They said that his daughter's body was never found. So Rourke is forced to believe that this bank robbery and that these recent bank robberies and this guy played by William Fitchner, that somehow it is connected to the disappearance, the kidnapping of his daughter. And that sets a lot of the film in motion because they find out who this anonymous tip came from. And that is where you are introduced to Alice Braga's character. And the movie continues to roll on from there. And I feel like I just can't say much more because it would be a spoiler. This movie is just filled with plot twists. Like every single time you think you know what's going on, the movie turns itself around because you are introduced to this idea or these people called hypnotics who can more or less shape reality in your mind at least. They can make you see things that aren't there and thereby make you do things that you do not want to do. They basically create these visual constructs in your mind that make you do whatever they want. And so there are plenty of times where your characters are in a place, but all of a sudden they're not in the place because the place you thought they were in was actually created by the mind of a hypnotic. They were just deep into the other people's minds, making them think they were in a place that they were not actually in or that they were surrounded by people that they're not actually surrounded by or that they're holding an item that they are not actually holding. Always something like that in each scene. You're constantly wondering about what you're actually seeing, if it's actually real. And that's interesting for sure, but it also gets a little bit tough to follow at times. Because at a certain point, you just say, okay, is anything I'm seeing at all real? What am I supposed to be paying attention to here? Because what part of this is an illusion and what part of this is actually happening? I think on paper, this is an interesting movie. But the actual execution was just really sloppy. It felt like the plot was moving very quickly, and it's a 90-minute movie. Normally, this movie would be about two hours, directed by most people, and I don't know if that would have made it better or worse, but this one definitely felt rushed. I felt that things were not properly fleshed out. By the time it got to its resolution, I just went, huh, really? Overall, I just was disappointed, and yes, I noted that I saw this when I was in a bad mood, but 
I just thought it was really confusing, I guess, but it's meant to be a bit confusing. It's meant to keep you on your heels, I suppose. But I think more than anything, it just gets to a point where you say, okay, this is exhausting. It's not fun to watch at this point because I don't even know what I'm watching anymore. In some ways, it almost feels like it becomes a different movie after every single plot twist. Like it goes from being a noir mystery film to being a noir sci-fi mystery to then being a sci-fi thriller to then the third act being a little bit Western visually. (laughs) I don't know, man. It's for sure an interesting idea for a movie. And I think that there's stuff that works. But by the end of it, I was just ready for it to just end. And it's not a good thing when it's a 90-minute movie where it's already pretty short, but it got to the end. And I could tell it was towards the end. I said, okay, they got to wrap this up. I'm done. I'm checked out. Unless something really cool happens here, I'm just done. And what I'll say is that from a direction standpoint, I think it's well-directed. I think there are some very interesting shots throughout the movie. That visually, it's mostly engaging. I like the lighting and color in the film. Robert Rodriguez has a very distinct look to his films, and I like that here for sure. I thought Ben Affleck was pretty good in his role. He grumbles a little too much at times when he talks, where it's kind of tough to understand him. But I do think he does a good job with his role, at least. I think he does what he's asked to do. And then some of the other members of the cast, William Fitchner is pretty good, I guess. His job is kind of just to look like William Fitchner and walk around and do things because he doesn't get a lot of time to shine, in my opinion, even though he's a main character in this film. He doesn't really say a lot. He's kind of just walking around doing stuff. Alice Braga is pretty good, I would say. It's unfortunate because I've now seen her in quite a few movies that are just not good at all. And this is when I would log in the category of not very good. I don't want to say not good at all because I do respect Robert Rodriguez and I love Ben Affleck. So I don't want to say it's bad, but I sure as hell would never say it was good. The movie also has Jackie Earl Haley and he is completely wasted, man. He is completely wasted. They introduce his character and I think, oh, cool. He's going to be a big character going forward in this movie. He's at least going to have maybe a 15 minute subplot with them. Nope. He's just in this one scene for three minutes. I thought, man, you guys, and not just the people making this movie, but people in general, gotta utilize Jackie Earl Haley's talents because he is such a good actor and nobody uses him. He's always in movies as like a side henchman or something, or he's just in the movie as a side character for like five minutes. Nobody uses him to his full potential. Maybe it's because he played Freddy Krueger in that one Nightmare on Elm Street reboot that was supposedly really bad. And people just did not like that at all. And so they said, okay, no more Jackie Earl Haley as the lead in movies. But I think that's dumb. If that is the reason, I don't think that's the reason. But if that was the reason, that would be really dumb because that movie's bad because it's bad. It's not bad because Jackie Earl Haley is bad. But his work in Watchmen as Rorschach is fantastic. It is one of the best comic book performances that I've seen. And you guys might think that I'm just saying that because I'm a Zack Snyder diehard. I suppose, but I liked Watchmen before I even knew who Zack Snyder was. I really didn't know anything about the guy. I just watched the movie, thought it was really cool, and always found Rorschach to be really interesting, really compelling. 
his performance at least. And there are things about his character where you say, man, this is a crazy, borderline sick guy, but you almost can't help but root for him at times because he's so desperate for justice. You say, well, I don't necessarily agree with his means of doing this, but he is one of the only characters with the courage to stand up in this film. So anyway, I don't want to talk about Watchmen on this episode, but I will just say Jack Errol Haley gets wasted in so many movies I see where he's in it for just a few minutes and he plays a really small character and he is so much better than that. But this film, Hypnotic, I really just don't know what to say about it. I thought that visually it looked pretty good. I think the idea for the story was good and that it starts off interesting enough. I just think it loses itself by the second act. And luckily, there's only like half an hour of movie by the time it loses itself. But yeah, I was not entirely checked out by that point, but I was definitely waiting for the movie to end. Also, I thought the score for this movie was actually pretty good. And then the name flashed in the credits and it was Rebel Rodriguez, who is the son of the director, Robert Rodriguez. And he's still pretty young. He's in maybe his early 20s right now. But I thought, wow, he actually did a really good job. His IMDb picture is like a 12-year-old version of him. But I thought the score was good. So that's another cool thing is this was Robert Rodriguez's production company. It was his script. He directed the movie. And then his son did the score for the movie. So I don't know, man. I do think that is really cool. And I'm glad that he got to make a movie that he wrote himself, that he came up with the idea for. I think it's a clever idea. I just did not think the execution worked. And not just that, there's a post-credit scene that teases a sequel. And this is one of those movies where you watch it, and by the end you say, okay, yeah, it wasn't very good, probably not going to watch that again. But it's like a one-off movie is how it feels. But then they have this post-credit scene to set up for a sequel, and I went, no, 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 no. Granted, I do think that this is one that will hit HBO Max or Netflix or something like that. And there will be a crowd of people that take a liking to it, mostly because it's a trippy movie. And there are a lot of plot twists that people will find it interesting. This is the type of one that would come up on Netflix's recommended, and people would all just watch it and be like, well, I didn't even know about this movie. And there will be a lot of people that take a liking to it because they haven't seen the Rotten Tomatoes score. And all they know is this movie tripped them out and left them a little confused. And so for that reason, they say that was a cool, trippy movie. But it was not for me. Pains me to say it, but I just was not a fan. Anyway, though, that is all I've got for today. My next episode will be talking about J-Lo's new movie. So I just talked about Ben Affleck's new movie. Now I'm going to talk about J-Lo's new movie for my next episode, The Mother, which just dropped on Netflix. So I'll be watching that and talking all about it. So you will hear from me later this week. If you're not following, then please give this podcast a follow. Otherwise, you will find me on Instagram under the username at vitamin C pod. Please make sure to follow me there so that you can get updates, not just on the podcast, but on movie news and other celebrity news in general, as well as the occasional movie recommendation outside of the ones I'm already talking about on my podcast. So make sure to follow me there. I look forward to talking with you guys more later this week.